Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hello everyone, this is Stephen Moe, and I'm really glad that you could join me today because we're speaking with Fiona Allen, who's the Chief Executive of Paralympics New Zealand, and we have a really fascinating conversation about her life and what's led her to take up that position. Here's an excerpt from the interview with Fiona. I cried at the moment when the New Zealand National Anthem was being played when um, Paralympic cyclist Paula Tesorio mm-hmm. uh, won gold uh, for New Zealand, and it just sort of captured that whole essence of, wow, this individual has achieved right. the very best, best in the world. Um, I don't know why I cried. I just felt the sort moment. of the emotion <laughs> um, of everything that had gone before. Um, maybe me not standing on that podium gold when everything that I'd aspire to be as an athlete at an Olympic Games. And here she was at the Paralympic Games um, having just done the gold medal race of her life, just mm. and we talked spoke earlier about just needs to happen and on that one moment, on that one day, it all came together, mm-hmm. and just being able to celebrate that moment, um, yeah, with her and knowing everything that it took for her to get to that. Now, in the next episode, it's going to be the start of a series of interviews to do with tech, and the reason for that is that coming up in Christchurch is an annual event called Tech Week. So in the next episode, we'll be speaking with Professor Rob Lindemann from the HIT Lab at Canterbury University. The HIT Lab stands for Human Interface Technologies, and we have a fascinating conversation all about augmented reality and virtual reality and what the future may hold. If you don't want to miss out on that and other upcoming episodes, then it's really easy. You just hit subscribe in the podcast app that you're using to listen to this show. And thanks to those of you who've liked the Facebook page. There's almost 200 people there, and it's a great way to be able to communicate and get videos and other interesting things that are sort of behind the scenes about the podcast. So you might want to check that out. Now, let's get into this interview with Fiona. So it's a pleasure to welcome Fiona Allen, the Chief Executive of Paralympics New Zealand. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, On this show, what we do is we talk about the word purpose and what people are involved in. But in order to do that, I find it's helpful to trace the history of a person, where they've come from and what's led to their decision to be involved in whatever it is that they're doing today. So what I'd love to do is start um, with your own background and, and then we'll just weave that into what you're doing now with Paralympics. So where do you come from? I grew up in uh, Nottingham, so born and bred in Nottingham, went to primary school, secondary school and university um, in Mm. my hometown, stayed at home throughout all those years and um, had uh, two older sisters um, and grew up as a family knowing uh, that in Nottingham. Uh, My mum and dad are from Aberdeen and uh, we still had the family house up in Scotland so we'd often go up and visit there on most sort of school holidays growing up as a family and um, that's got the Scottish roots were were very much instilled in me um, with both parents having come from there Mm. even though we resided in England. So what does that what picture does that take in terms of Scottish roots and what you're taught that might make you distinctive from other people? 
in mm, Nottingham? Probably pretty stubborn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and pretty competitive as well. And um, I, I, I felt that there was a, a grounding um, that I'd had from from my parents. They're pretty sort of stoic and um, sort of didn't show or much sort of love as as a, as a family quite stoic and straight and this is how it is and and I guess you know reflecting on that now that I've got my own family I can sort of see the differences um, as to how their upbringing um, mm-hmm. and then my upbringing have, have sort of changed mm-hmm. um, and the attitudes and the way in which I, I do things with my kids may be a little bit different to I guess my my own up, upbringing. Mm, yeah, no, that's great. And Nottingham itself, Sheriff of Nottingham. Nottingham, is that right? Yeah, there's Nottingham Castle. <laughs> right. And, uh, I think I've been there, sheriff. actually. I think there was a statue or something in, in a part of the town, and we went there and is. took a photo. Yeah. Robin Hood uh, yeah. sits in the, in the middle of town just underneath the castle, and then obviously there's still Sherwood Forest, right. they call it. It's more like... The woods, if you were to go there, okay. it's not really a big forest. <laughs> and the major oak, uh, as a kid growing up, we would go and visit the the major oak, and at that time, climb all over it. Now you can't get within sort of ten, fifteen meters of the tree, um, given that, of course, that we probably destroyed it as <laughs> kids, um, and now it's all propped up and can't get within the the roots. Um, right. So it's become a national. Treasure, it has national heritage site. Over time, you know, yeah. those things become more important. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. And growing up, the childhood was was it a lot outdoors? Were you a person who loved the outdoors, or were you reading books, or how would you describe yourself? Uh, definitely outdoors all the time. Uh, growing up, where I was always playing in the street. Um, as soon as the street lights came on, that was almost the the call for it time to go home and. And at that time, parents didn't sort of know where I was, um, but all the other neighbours would sort of look out for us as well as kids growing up. Uh, I was never indoors. I wasn't a very good indoors person. And and still to this day, um, if I was to sit down and read a book, it, it, it takes me quite a long time because I'll pick it up, put it down, I'll get distracted or, or do something else. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that sort of family life and that upbringing um, has meant that even today I'm still about the same. <laughs> but um, you love the outdoors, it sounds like, and, and getting out and being active. Yeah, my mum was brought up on a farm, so um, and she would cycle a lot. So there was a general active um, mm. outdoor life that she led. And I think, you know, we, we, we grew up caravanning, going different places, um, family holidays, going up to Scotland um, for family holidays. And wherever we went, we were just enjoying uh, the outdoors and participating and, mm-hmm. and just walking um, and just general activities that you do as a kid. Mm-hmm. Cycled hopes um, and ran everywhere. Um, yeah. So sport was a part of your life as well at that yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. I... Uh, Participated in athletics from the age of eight, and mm. um, I did little athletics uh, as a kid, and then went through into uh, regionals and then internationals. So the sport was very much a, a makeup of what I did. None of my sisters um, 
were sporty in any sense. They were musical. They played the accordions and were in bands and quite different to myself. I was a bit bit of the uh, odd one in the family actually growing up. And um, But yeah, athletics became my passion quite early on. Mm. And did you have particular, within athletics, there's many, many sports, right? So yeah. did you have particular area like, you know, the track and running side of things or the... Or what was it that drew you to it? It started off at a at a really little club, mm-hmm. and so, and it was all about for the club getting points um, when you were competing against other clubs. And so, I just actually had a go at everything mm-hmm. uh, that there was. I did the hundred meters, the two hundred meters. I did the the long jump, the high jump, <laughs> uh, the shot foot, discus javelin, and and um, and through that then um, became quite an all-rounder and led to me then when I became more competitive competing in the heptathlon which is Ah, seven events uh, over two days so it was that experience of just trying and having a go at everything which led into probably a master of none Um, but pretty good at quite a few things because that's the one where you have to be you're not the best at any one, are you? But you're really good at all of them. So yeah. you kind of average it out as the, is that True. right? True, yeah. You certainly have your preferred events and right. ones that you excel in. Um, but yeah, there's different points that you attain and some of those strong events that you may have may not be really good point scorers. Um, right. So yeah, you've you've actually got to try and bring up uh, the events that you're not so good at mm. um, to continue to com- complete. Yeah. So is that something you were doing through your high school years and that that competitive sport? Yeah, all the way through high school um, was athletics. So every weekend for me would be at a different town um, within the UK mm. and or training through the winter. Right. So this is a commitment not just by you but by your parents as well, right? Yeah, well, before I could drive, <laughs> yeah, exactly. they were the ones driving me everywhere until I got, I think they were so pleased when I finally did get my license and could take myself away to these places because otherwise, yeah, all the uh, training, you know, I trained four or five times a week, um, was traveling from Nottingham down to, to Loughborough University for training. Mm. And yeah, it was probably mum actually that spent the most time around track sides waiting for me right uh, when's that next event <laughs> yeah i think she developed yeah. a passion of knitting so that kept her amused right. uh, whilst i was uh training yeah i think it's important to mention isn't it because the parents like the parental support is pretty key for some of these things like w- my daughter is doing athletics and she was just in um you know the colgate games yeah so for you know primary school kids so that involved driving from christchurch to timaru because that's where it was in the south island and you know it's it's a bit of a drive <laughs> and then spending the night because the events were over two days you know it's like a it's quite a bit that goes on if you want somebody to succeed in in these events yeah it's a huge commitment from your, your family especially in those earlier days where you just rely on them to, mm. to take you everywhere you can't get there yourself and unless you've got um other family or friends that would do that i i think it it is a barrier for people to participate in sport if they don't have that parental support and yeah. to take them there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Uh, and so we're kind of up to high school 
era. What what sort of came next? Where did you go? Because obviously we're here in New Zealand now, so <laughs> something happened to yes. bring you here. But what what sort of happened around sort of graduating from high school? Did you know what you wanted to do? What you wanted to become? That kind of thing. At secondary school, I was um, so passionate about becoming a PE teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the my favourite subject at school uh, was uh, the phys ed sessions. And um, I spent a lot of time with my PE teacher, um, often just him and I going to events together, especially when I got through to the regional schools championships and then into national schools championships. Unfortunately, I had to take him away because uh, for support um, during school time. And uh, so... PE teaching was something that I really aspired to doing at that stage and then um, finished school, went on to University Nottingham Trent University, mm-hmm. uh, sports science degree. Um, it was sports science administration and it was a three-year degree course. During that time, I won a World Citizens Scholarship uh, within the uh, final year to go to Melbourne University mm. um, and it was at that time at Melbourne University that um, I had a placement within a school and it was a, a primary school and my role was to ensure that this young person with a disability could be included in a mainstream class and helping the teacher modify the, the lesson plan to ensure that this young girl who was short-statured, a little um, person, mm. um, to participate in what was badminton. Um, and before that, she was not participating in the sport class at all. So mm. um, that sort of gave me an insight into mm. PE teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also probably the first taste, actually it was the first taste of including um, disabled people mm-hmm. um, within the school lesson plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd always grown up and, and, and trained through my athletics days with Special Olympians mm-hmm. um, and Paralympians. My coach was very inclusive um, with the training and coached people with a number of disabilities. So it wasn't new to me, the whole idea of just adapting a session so that anyone can participate because mm. I'd seen that sort of growing up anyway. Mm. Um, and I think that's where you sort of see how other people, you know, whether they mean to or not, do actually shape you into your mm. beliefs and values and, and seeing what can be possible. Mm. It's important, isn't it, the modelling that goes on that that you don't realise until later that that person influenced who you've become. Yeah, totally. I, and Reflecting back, I had a number of those. Mm. Um, Who would you say would be some of the most influential of those people? Just met him recently again up up in uh, in Pyeongchang at the uh, Paralympic Winter Games. But um, Tim Reddish used to come into Nottingham Trent Uni and um, take some sessions with us around adaptive phys ed. And uh, he then became the president of British Paralympic uh, Committee. Mm. So our paths have continued to cross. We always have this great connection back to Nottingham, um, Nottingham Trent Uni, and uh, he was pretty influential and still is um, within the Paralympic sport um, that I'm in at the moment. And um, another um, person is actually a Paralympian, Chris um, and I trained in the javelin as 
my coach was his coach. He's a Paralympian. Uh, he was a javelin thrower. He had cerebral palsy, and he asked me out on this date when I was 16. Um, and, and at the time, it was really bad um, that I sort of said yes because I felt sorry for him, um, and I thought that oh, not many girls would probably go on a date with him. I was so shameful of it now, like... Um, but did anyway and went and, and enjoyed this date. Um, it never really blossomed to anything. Sure. <laughs> um, but it's still quite memorable about how my own sort of attitude was yeah. towards him. Um, and then how, yeah, various people, I guess, now on reflection um, mm. that have um, made, the, made you the person that you are through mm. just the experiences you've had with them. Mm. Yeah, I think it's so important to reflect on those people sometimes because the reality is we're all busy. There's fast-paced life, and sometimes you forget about who it is that shaped you and, and helped you to become who you are today. And um, I see it quite often these days when you meet with people and you say, how are you doing? The first answer is almost always, I'm busy. Uh, I'm yes. busy, you know, and I think it's a sad reflection of our culture, really, that we've emphasized the busyness and the lack of sort of well, actually, I'm, I'm reflecting, you know, or you know that there's, there's other values there. If you're not busy, it doesn't mean that you're not valuable. It's uh, um, anyway, we've gone on a tangent there, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just something I've been thinking about. So yeah, so you're in Melbourne then? Yeah, so in Melbourne and and helping this um, young child participate in her her school phys ed, uh, just as any child would. Yep. Adapted the sessions made it seem really easy for the teacher to be able to include her and she had a great experience. Mm. Um, and the nice thing actually is is that all in all, if it's given the right environment from the teacher, the, the kids will come up with mm. adapting things themselves. Like they're really good at that. Mm. They, they do it in normal sort of gameplay in the playground and so it's all, almost a matter of not overcoaching uh, and just letting the team come up with ideas and mm. suggestions mm. Um, to make sure that everyone gets included. Mm. Um, so that sort of set me on a path of this is kind of neat. Um, wonder what other kids are, are missing out on, on phys ed. Um, and went back after Melbourne. So finished that sort of six months, went back to finish my degree in Nottingham. And, and then I went traveling for a couple of years. And so went around the world, sort of east to west, and, and then mm -hmm. went west to east and found myself back in Melbourne and because I'd created some really nice contacts and connections whilst at university, mm -hmm. took some advantage of those and sure. reconnected and, and then uh, found myself working um, within local government um, for low, um, access for abilities, which was a government-funded program aimed to get more people with a disability involved in sport and recreation. Mm. So it seemed the perfect sort of link um, yeah. so for me. Yeah, so it's just an amplification of what you were doing with the one child, right? You, yeah. All of a sudden, it's a bigger, even bigger. Yeah, and mm. setting up programs across four um, different regions mm. to get people involved. And it was it's arts and recreation too, so we had drumming workshops. It wasn't just sport. Mm. Um, and it was all impairments as well. Um, so... Yeah, um, learnt a lot <laughs> in that role. Um, made some really great friends and then stayed in Melbourne uh, then. Ended mm. up um, extending my visa and then getting my residency. Mm. So I lived in Melbourne for six years. Mm. 
mm-hmm. um, after that experience. And um, my partner at the time, then um, he was a Kiwi. Uh, we'd met in New Zealand mm. on my way through, actually, before I went to Melbourne. Oh, okay. <laughs> and right. uh, <laughs> they followed me through. Um, and then uh, he uh, got offered a, a job back here in New Zealand. And I said, I remember saying I was only going to go if I could find a, another job similar to what I had uh, in Melbourne. And uh, fortunately for me, that was the Helberg Trust, as it was named at the time, right. so led by Sir Murray Helberg, um, and then moved to Auckland to take on a, a role with the Helberg Trust. Mm. And again, very similar with regards to providing sporting opportunities for people with a disability. Right. So it's been something that you've sort of specialised in, even from that student days, it sounds like like it, it was an area that you were able to dive deeper in and continue on with yeah I think I think you've got a well, for me anyway I I think it's really important to, to find something within your career that you, you love doing and mm. for me the the purpose um, and the sense of well-being that that sport and and phys, you know, phys ed and it gives people um, not those necessarily those with a disability but just everyone mm. um, but I think there's a, a special element then of including Mm. all people um, and ensuring that anything that you do does just that so Mm. for me I benefited so much from my involvement with sport and I guess I want to see as many people as possible um, get those same benefits. Mm. Yeah and so just talk us through your current role and what you're involved in now when did you join and that type of thing. Yeah so I've now been uh, with Paralympics New Zealand um, following the Helberg role for 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I commenced um, in the role of operations manager so one of my key, uh, my very first role was debriefing the 2006 Torino Paralympic Winter Games. Mm. Uh, team had just got back, I just started mm-hmm. uh, so I was sort of thrown in straight away into the, the Paralympic Games debrief and, and working with elite athletes. So I'd gone from working very much in the participatory um, area and community um, mm. development into high-performance elite. Um, mm. So it was kind of a, a, a fast, it took me back to my high-performance roots myself, um, having competed for Scotland and Great Britain. Um, and it was, I felt very comfortable then uh, mm. within the area. Mm. So... I've so been, it brought uh, back memories of your own experience as an athlete. Yeah, <laughs> through the whole stage then. It was yeah, almost right. like through the whole community and, yeah. and me just participating uh, through then into what it takes to, to be an elite athlete. And, yeah. um, and can you just mention, because we did talk a little bit about your athletics, but that like representing your country and that type of thing, yeah. what's that like? Um, well, I chose Scotland um, as my country over England. Right. So, again, that was the going back to those sort of strong Scottish roots Start and values. Started our conversation, and, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, and I think that that upbringing with mum and dad very much instilling that I was from Scotland, but mm-hmm. born in England, mm-hmm. um, rang true all the way to me choosing Scotland as my nation to compete for, mm-hmm. and. Um, and as a yeah, high-performance athlete, I, I loved they're probably the most special days that I had mm. um, competing, the friends that I made, the places I went. Um, it was hard, of course. It was tough, probably the toughest days I've had too. But um, 
got and, a lot out of that also. Yeah. And was it always the heptathlon? Was that your event yeah, or was it other things? Yeah, it was. Heptathlon. Yeah. Um, I did become national champion in pole vault for women. But I think that was because not many women at that stage were competing in the pole vault as opposed <laughs> to how great I was at it. And, um, and triple jump. So long jump and triple jump um, yeah. were my preferred events. Yeah. And the, 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 I guess the moment, we're going to come back to Paralympics New Zealand, by the way, but that moment when you sort of first got selected to represent Scotland or your country, like, yeah. is that indelibly impressed on your brain when you got news or something? Or can you share with us that? Oh, totally. I was so excited. I actually got a phone call um, from um, Scottish um, Athletics to advise me of my selection. It was followed then by a letter. Um, and I'm glad they sent me the letter because I couldn't quite believe that I actually right. had, had been a selected. <laughs> so, and um, yeah, it was a very special moment. Very proud, very proud to be able to then share that news um, with my coach and, and family and friends. It all supported me mm. as well. And uh, yeah, I can still remember that. And if anything, I am now have the the, the pleasure of being able to phone our selected athletes um, of their selection um, to mm. games teams. And it's still a very special moment mm. that I place on that um, because I understand the importance of it mm. for the athlete receiving that call. Um, and I also think it's the same whether it's the fourth time they get that call than the first time they get that call. Right. There's still a very special moment, and I think in the the mind of the athlete that yes, I've I've, I've made it, and it's yeah. been four years on maybe since they last got that call. Yeah. Um, but it's still quite a special moment. So I still do the same. I make the phone call, then I follow up with the letter immediately. Yeah. Yep. Um. And, uh, yeah, and unfortunately then also make the non-selections as well. So sure. I always try and do those first um, and then go ahead and make those uh, selection calls. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, it sounds – so there was really an echo of in your current role with that that time before when you were an athlete yourself. Yeah, yeah. most definitely. And, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I sort of continue to be inspired and admired by the athletes that we work with. And I know that it's a much more competitive um, field than it ever was in, in my day. You know, mm. sports getting more and more competitive mm. and just to find that extra point one of a second or um, 10 centimetres is increasingly difficult. So mm. um, I admire what the athletes of today actually do achieve. Mm. Yeah, I, the thing that I admire is that these some of these global events like olympics and paralympics you know like it's every four years so there's that window of opportunity where you're training 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 yeah and then there's these two or three weeks or whatever when it happens and you know so much work goes into that 10 seconds that you're running or you're this is your moment that's right um it's an incredible thing i mean it's encouraging for all of us i think to think about our lives and what we're doing but it's also a lot of pressure on that that moment isn't it yeah most definitely but also maintaining that training even though it is still four years to go mm. you know maintaining that commitment um a dedication i think that sports people in general they can teach a lot of us <laughs> actually you know what it does take to to be committed to something um but see and have a goal four mm. years out and keep working and working and working to it just for that very moment. And 
I would, you know, even reflecting upon my own development and, and where I am, do I know where I want to be in four years' time? And have I set my goal and am I working to it to achieve it? Yeah. Within a certain time frame, or is it just well? It might happen in four years. It might happen in five or six. Well, yeah. you don't get that luxury in sport. It's all <laughs> going to happen on the day. Um, There's a window. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and the window will close. <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of work. I'm a lawyer, so I do a lot of work with startups, people who have ideas for great businesses. But one of the things I'm always encouraging them is thinking in five years, what do you want to be, or where do you want to be? Yes. Because then you can start on your journey getting the structures right, getting your connections right, you know, like you've got to have that end goal in mind as well, rather than just focusing on, well, I'm, I'm starting up and I'm super busy and I'm, I can't think about four or five years from now. That's right. So. And then assess your performances along the way. And I guess that's what Will Champs do in the competitive sport environment. It's what yeah. um, other international meets do year one, year two, year three, year four. And I just wonder if we... Yeah structure our lives like that with our own goals mm. i'm sure there's a lot that we can learn <laughs> maybe that could be a little book you guys put out is uh, what can other people learn from athletes <laughs> um so just talk us through i know you've just come back from the um, olympics that were in korea um but that's obviously a high point in the calendar that you know comes relatively infrequently what does the day-to-day consist of, or what are you involved in as an organization here in New Zealand? For people who are listening who, who don't know and are curious to find yeah. out. Yeah, so um, I very much see Paralympics New Zealand as a, a social change um, organization, um, utilizing and supporting Paralympic athletes. Um, so one, providing the resource and support uh, for our high-performance um, Paralympic athletes to achieve on the world stage. As you say, Paralympic Games, summer, winter, comes every two years. Mm. Um, and it's our responsibility as an organisation to prepare, select and send Paralympic mm. Games teams. Mm-hmm. But we high-performance athletes don't just appear. So um, <laughs> there's sort of going back then through the community, through to high-performance athlete development pathways is ensuring that there is a pathway for para-athletes mm. within New Zealand sport mm. um, and in their chosen sport. So that is something then secondly that Paralympics New Zealand does is work with member organisations, national sports organisations and regional para-fed organisations to help shape and change a sporting environment in New Zealand mm. that is inclusive of para-athletes mm. um, at every part of their journey. So we've still got a long way to go in that in New Zealand, I think. You know, it's still a, a great opportunity um, for us to develop that further. And um, then thirdly, well, you, you can't just do that. So um, part of my role is to um, finance and find the, the support um, that we require, and that's through commercial partnerships, it's through fundraising, it's through gaming and grant applications, right. um, through seeking bequests and wills and, um, and and just generally working to gain the funds um, that we require. And we're really well supported, you know, through through government, through High Performance Sport New Zealand at the, the highest sort of end, although yep. we still, you know, we have to sort of get 60 to 70% of the funds raised elsewhere to send a games team somewhere. <laughs> 
Um, but at the community end, it's pretty much we rely on fundraising, donations, mm-hmm. uh, commercial partnerships. So that's part of my role is to ensure that as an organisation we're financially sustainable mm. to be able to best support mm. para-athletes through their sporting journey um, from community through to high performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by doing that is um, I think something that's very dear to my heart is, is changing society's perceptions of those that are living in New Zealand um, mm-hmm. with a disability. Mm. Um, and I think we're in a really excellent position for by using sport as a mechanism of having amazing Paralympic ambassadors mm. to demonstrate just what actually is possible. Mm. Um, and I have often, as athletes, overcome diversity, mm. adversity, mm. Um, and have, in their own way, uh, come back from that um, adversity mm. or, or difference to then go on and achieve mm. um, their goals. So it's kind of... I think with a, a Paralympian, a para-athlete, it's that this extra story as mm-hmm. to how their, their journey and how they've got there and potentially strength and extra sort of determination to overcome um, what some may perceive mm. as barriers. Mm. So um, so it's really about raising awareness as well, isn't it? You know, the education and, and helping people to, to see these people and what they've gone through and what they've achieved. That's right. It's it's increasing social awareness yeah. um, as to what these athletes, individuals, people yeah. have um, overcome in their life and what they've got on to achieve. And I think that's a lot of athletes probably don't like the word inspirational and wouldn't see themselves as being inspiring. But mm. and I often have these conversations with athletes, but you you can't stop someone else from thinking mm. differently about actually what you do. Mm is inspiring because mm. I don't know if I've done that and I was just recently in, in, in Tauranga at a Lions function it was a fundraising function for Paralympics New Zealand and mm-hmm. one of our Paralympians Stacey Roach had just climbed Mount Monganui and uh, she has cerebral palsy and very difficult gait um, and she climbed Mount Monganui in uh, an hour and, and 30 minutes she was at, they were asked how many other people have climbed Mount Monganui in the room and there, to be fair weren't that many people sure. even though they were all local residents right. that had done it and I just hope that maybe through her story well some of them are inspired to head yeah. up that mountain and go and, <laughs> and climb that as well yeah. now yeah. Um, I'm surprised by that yeah well it's a, it was amazing timing so I live in Rolleston just outside of Christchurch and there's a local newspaper and one of the front page things was about a schoolgirl who's 13 years old and um, I'll just grab this thing so I get the, the details right <laughs> um, but that's Ella Ben and um, th- there's an article in the press as well about her and basically she's 13 years old she ha- was diagnosed with bone cancer when she was nine years old she's chosen to undergo an amputation of a portion of her leg um, along with chemotherapy to treat it um, she gave up her, you know, she was a talented cross-country runner. She, she's given that up, but she's gone into swimming. And, and the interview talks with a tutor at the school, Canterbury Swim School, and, and he's now decided that he's going to run a marathon. And nice. the, the statement that he says in this article is, if she can go through all that and still be so happy and smiling, I can run a marathon. And I mm-hmm. think that's something, 
you know, just picking up on what you're saying, like, there is inspiration there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it just challenges you as an individual to think differently about some of the things that you perceive that you're not doing or can't do a little differently. Mm. Um, and whether that encourages, whether it inspires, whether it, to, to take a different angle, then um, I think that's great for society mm. um, that that can happen. And it only t- needs one story. Yeah. Um, and on talking with Stacey as well, I said, she will not know how many people that that one story has, has impacted upon or, or known. But it, it would, yeah. yeah, it would be huge in, in my view. Yeah. I, I called this podcast Seeds, and the, the story I'll share with you behind it is that I think seeds, they look like they're dead and that there's no life in them. But if you plant them and you put them in the right conditions, you know, water, light, air, all that good stuff, they can grow. And so something that looks like it's dead can yeah. actually sprout and grow. And my aim with these interviews is that they will become like seeds for people, that they would hear something that they would feel inspired by and that they would actually go into their own lives and, and try something new that maybe they wouldn't have tried otherwise. Yeah, um, nice. And I, 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 the sense I get is that these people that you are talking with and that are going out and going and giving seminars at Lions Clubs or Rotary or whatever <laughs> it is, that those, in a way, they're scattering seeds and that their stories can be inspiring and can help people to maybe try something, maybe push through, maybe experiment and... and yeah, so it resonates with me because of what I'm seeing with the podcast where I get people writing to me and saying, I really enjoyed this story, you know. Because yeah. ultimately, we're all people. We love stories, don't we? <laughs> well, storytelling is, is certainly a way to share and it's been through history. Um, t- stories have been told. Um, yeah. And, and I guess that's, yeah, hopefully these stories can continue to be told in the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so the the podcast is called Talking Purpose, and I'm just keen to hear what that word means for you. And and yeah, wh- what does purpose mean for you? I guess purpose for me is um, having a sense of belonging, a, a sense of giving um, within and in my world and now as um, as society. But I feel very fortunate to have the role that I have, um, working with amazing people to, one, assist and support them to achieve their their goals Mm -hmm. and, in some ways, their purpose. Um, But by doing so, I feel like a bit of a leech because it's also helping me (laughs) uh, fulfill my goals Mm. and my purpose of helping others, of giving, um, and then hopefully having um, a greater impact upon the whole of society by doing so. So I feel very fortunate um, to be working with a, a great group of team of, of people within the office, mm-hmm. a great board that gives so much of their time, mm-hmm. um, our coaches, our program directors, all the providers, the nutritionists, the um, mental skills coaches um, that are all working together to help and support one purpose or one goal um, and that's to make an individual be the very best they can be yeah um, so it encourages me through my experiences of 
trying to support people to be the very best they can be um, on the international stage as um, encouraging myself to be the very best leader that I can be to help those people to be the very best at bringing in money to try and help those people to be best uh, as they can be. So yeah. my purpose is, is, is I think, very clear. I'm sort of very curing. Um, I want to be able to support um, mm. others. Um, mm. And by, by doing so, I'm, I'm very happy then. Mm. And one of my key goals is to be happy doing what I do. Um, otherwise, change it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. And just thinking back over the 11 years, is there any story that stands out for you that really symbolizes what you're aiming to achieve? It's almost impossible to pick one, I know. <laughs> Remember, um, it was my first Paralympic Games that I attended. It was 2008, um, Beijing Paralympic mm. Uh, games and I cried at the moment when the New Zealand national anthem was being played when um, Paralympic cyclist Paula Tesorio mm -hmm. uh, won gold uh, for New Zealand and it just sort of captured that whole essence of wow this individual has achieved right. the very best best in the world um, I don't know why I cried. I just felt the sort moment. of the emotion um, <laughs> of everything that had gone before. Um, maybe me not standing on that podium gold when everything that I had aspired to be as an athlete um, at an Olympic Games, and here she was at the Paralympic Games, um, having just done the gold medal race of her life. Just mm. and we talked spoke earlier about just needs to happen, and on that one moment, on that one day, it all came together. Mm -hmm. Um, and and just being able to celebrate that moment, um, yeah, with her and knowing everything that it took for her to get to that. Mm -hmm. and, and since, you know, that, I had a great pleasure and then sharing other moments with Paula. Uh, was at her investiture ceremony on her return back from New Zealand when she was made a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit. And... Um, and she's now actually disability commissioner and still a, a board mm. member of mm. Paralympics New Zealand. So mm. that was ten years ago, and wow. we're still <laughs> still working together, yeah. um, and still in my you know working for the greater good of others mm. as well. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's really special. Yeah, gives you um, in life. It's like a marathon, isn't it? You know, it, those but those little moments maybe sometimes help to get through the the. The less exciting parts. Yes. And um, yeah. when you see something like that happen, what would be your message to somebody who, um, yeah, who isn't convinced about Paralympics? You know, the the person who's sitting there watching, I don't know, the All Blacks, yes. and they've just won the World Cup. This is fantastic, but haven't yet made the transition to understand what it is that Paralympics is doing and the elite nature of that. Yeah. Um, what would, what's your sort of message? Well, I guess um, we call it the Paralympic spirit and I think you've really got to experience something um, to really experience something. So um, I would encourage everyone, if they haven't witnessed um, Paralympic sport, um, to certainly switch the TV on and watch the next uh Paralympic Games or, or get down to the local club and see an athlete um, compete or train. Um, I guess then through that personal connection with an individual is that um, you'll have a greater appreciation of what 
Paralympic sporters mm. um, and hopefully be excited um, and inspired um, by what you see. Um, no disrespect to rugby, but th- these athletes are just truly in- inspiring. They've got amazing stories and can tell them so well mm. and, and are very happy to to share their, their stories as well. Um, so I think from that, um, yeah, just get out there, just watch some para sport, get, in, get involved, mm-hmm. um, and then hopefully, yeah, be excited by mm-hmm. what you see as well. Yeah, no, that's great. So we've talked a lot about um, the past, and I think before we started recording, we were saying that this is the 50th year, um, so there's a long history here in New Zealand, but where do you see the future for Paralympics in New Zealand? Yeah, so a 50, 50th anniversary um, in 2018, and and I guess it's a time to reflect of where we've come from, but it's also very much a time to reflect on where we want to be in the future. Mm. Um, so embarking upon a new strategy uh, to look to the future and um, whether that's a 20-year plan. Obviously, things are changing really quite quickly in Paralympic sport. Um, it's becoming a lot more competitive. Um, technology um, is increasing um, so much. Um, innovation, um, R&R, like just keeping ahead um, to be competitive um, is exciting, but also daunting. So I think we're going to see a lot more advancements in uh, technology and innovation um, mm-hmm. within Paralympic sport. Yep. Um, and New Ze- as New Zealanders, we're good at that. Um, so I would be in only hoping that um, the New Zealand community, we continue to galvanise that to best help and support our sports people mm-hmm. um, in the future. And um, and also, I, I, you know, dream of an inclusive society where there are no barriers. Maybe we don't even talk about disabled people because just people, right? Mm-hmm. So um, dropping some and changing some of the way in which we refer to people um, that live in our communities um through just by having shared stories i think we've come a long way in social change even the last 10 years of people's acceptance of paralympic sport and understanding of paralympic sport still think we've got a little way to go too Mm. i think there are some uh some people that don't understand it nah don't get it and it's those that hopefully in time we get an opportunity to to share with them um some stories or they get to see it on the tv and and then can um, then really appreciate what Paralympic sport is and, and then maybe then understand it mm. and then maybe have a greater appreciation for it. Yeah. Um, and um, by doing so, yeah, hopefully change sort of society's perceptions as well. Yeah. And I like what you said before um, about the personal connection, you know, just get along and see somebody and hear some of their story because then it will make sense, won't it, if, if you've got that personal connection. Yeah, I think so, and yeah. that's what we aim to, to do in a number of communities is have para-athletes go into schools, mm. talk with the kids, mm. uh, talk with teachers, um, go in the local community, give speeches, um, because by then by doing so, and if you have the opportunity to hear a speech, I really encourage people to go along and, and listen to a para-athlete talking, um, and, yeah, hopefully they enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. I really appreciate your time and um, just hearing about Paralympics and what it involves, what you're what you're doing, but also just to hear that your background as well. I love that you know you were a student in Melbourne and helping one person 
to participate and look what it's blossomed into. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just want to say thank you uh, for your time and um, enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you. Well, I hope you both enjoyed and were challenged by that interview with Fiona. I know I really appreciated diving a bit deeper with her and understanding her story and what's led her to being involved with Paralympics New Zealand. Now, next week's episode, we're going to be having a tech focus, speaking with Professor Rob Lindemann as part of a build-up to Tech Week here in Christchurch, New Zealand. And in that interview, we talk a lot about the future of tech, including augmented reality and virtual reality. Here's an excerpt of the interview with Rob. Augmented reality is blending things from the real world and the virtual world. So you think about if I'm in a physical world and I have a cup or a bottle on the table, I should be able to have a virtual bottle right next to it, and those two should be indistinguishable from each other. So that the shadows should be right, and the, if I move my head, they should stay fixed to the table. These, these kind of problems that you have. So blending the real and the virtual is what augmented reality is about. So yeah. you think about putting on a pair of glasses, and you're looking at the real world through the glass, but you also have projected somehow on the glass virtual content. Mm-hmm. And the technology should get to a point where I can move my head really quickly and the virtual objects don't move around. In other words, they know they know where they should be in my view, mm-hmm. which is a technically hard problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and they should be bright enough such that they really look like if I put if I put a virtual and a real thing next to each other, they should look exactly the same and mm-hmm. behave exactly the same. If it's a beer bottle, it should slosh around and the, the beer should slosh around right. in the virtual one just like it does in the real one. So all yeah. of these things are... Are doable, but we see this more as a continuum and not two individual boxes. So, mm. in other words, I can combine more or less of the real world with more or less of the virtual world. Well, I do hope you can join me for that and other upcoming episodes in the future. And don't forget, this is one of dozens of stories that have been recorded, so you might want to check out some of the previous episodes as well. Until next time.